0: morning, guys, and grab a seat. Open up your Bible to Acts chapter 18. We're continuing our series in the book of Acts. This wonderful book given to us by God where we get to see God at work and working through the mighty gospel of grace, the good news of Jesus Christ. God's working through the gospel of grace through the witness of the church and the power of the Spirit as the gospel goes out. And Changes lives, establishes churches, brings people to the Lord, glorifies God. It's just such a great book full of wonderful gospel adventures. So we're following the story along and we've uh, followed Paul and his team as they've gone throughout Asia Minor and now into Macedonia and Greece. And along the way we've, we've seen the gospel at work, we've learned many important gospel lessons and now, uh, in this section, the story's transitioning somewhat from Paul's second missionary journey with the team. So he went out from his home uh, of Antioch one time. That was the first one. It was a shorter four, uh, foray into Asia Minor. Then the second journey went further, all the way to Corinth. And now this, he's transitioning to the third. So he's going to go back to Jerusalem and then go to, on a third one. Uh, and This last portion of chapter 18 is really a transition point from the work in Corinth to the work in Ephesus that's on part of the third missionary journey. It serves as a transition, but it's God's word. And so even as Luke transitions us in the story, you might think, well, it's just a transition, you know, I mean, just kind of helping us connect two stories. But it's God's word and God speaks through his word. So there are lessons for us, even in this transition, even in the things that Luke talks about here. In particular, I want you to pay attention to how God works through the lives of people, how God works through leaders, how God's grace impacts people, raises leaders up, and uses leaders to touch other leaders' lives, and then through them to touch churches. So we're going to be introduced to some new people and new places in this transition as we learn about God's grace at work through leaders. With that in mind, let's pray. And ask God to speak to us through His Word. Lord, we thank You for Acts chapter 18. And we thank You for this section. And how You have preserved this. How You have preserved Luke's writings. You inspired Luke to write these very things. The very words that he chose are Your words. And Lord, You had us in mind even as He did that. And that's amazing But You're a God who knows all. And Lord, we are in all different places this morning, but You are the same God. And we need You. We need Your Word. So would You help me to clearly teach Your Word, to be used of You, to speak for You. And it's only by the blood of Christ. It's only by Your grace. But Lord, You do this because You love us. You want us to hear from You. You want want us to walk in Your ways. So we look to You to speak and do all these things and to magnify Your name as You do it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 18, verse 18, and to the end of the chapter, says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Kenchari, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews." When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next. Through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him, the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Acts eighteen, eighteen 18-28. There's a lot in just these 11 verses to learn. God's Word is... Full of meaning. There's lots that we can look at, and it's important when we look at the scriptures that we understand that as we read a passage like this, there are many meanings, there are many things we can learn, but there's a central meaning. There's a central purpose that this, even this passage, uh, stands for. There's a central purpose. Uh, That it is, therefore, a central purpose in what Luke was writing and a central purpose in what God was doing behind Luke. So when we read a book like Acts or another book, we want to ask some questions. The first question we should ask is, why did Luke write this? What was Luke doing when he wrote this section of Scripture? What was he doing? Why did he write it? What was he trying to accomplish? How would the original audience have understood that? That's really important. That protects us from importing meaning into Scripture, which we can do. We could come in and, and you know, uh, be thinking, you know, should I, get a, should I get a haircut or not? And we open up to Acts 18. Paul had his hair cut at Kenker. Yes, God has spoken to me. Cut my hair. And that's not what's going on there. Um, so we want to be careful we don't import meaning. We want to say, what, what was Luke doing? What was he trying to accomplish? Um, how was he trying to communicate to the original audience? And then secondly, after that, that second question, not, so what was Luke doing? What was God doing? What is God doing? Because God was sovereign over Luke writing that, and God wanted purposes to be accomplished through that or to that original audience, but also to us as well. So there are principles that are communicated in Luke's writing that are eternal principles that hold for us. So when we look at Scripture, we ask those questions, we look at those principles, and we apply them to our lives. God speaks to us as we do that. I think I mentioned this before as we've gone through... Uh, we want to understand what the book of Acts is about. And uh, it's helpful to, to ask questions of, of the text and to try to understand what Luke was doing. There's overall purposes. I think our, our purpose for this series, uh, it being about the unstoppable gospel, uh, being witnessed to by the church and ever expanding in its influence, that is, that is a chief theme of Acts. We get to see what Jesus continued to do his church in the power of the Spirit. Uh, And we get to learn from that and model ourselves after that. But also, Luke was writing, had some other things in mind, and we can tap into that by looking at how he starts the book of Acts and the book of Luke. So if we were to look at Luke chapter 1, I think we have this to show. At the very beginning, we we read in his introduction, it says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts are actually two volumes of one work. So he addresses this person, Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus. That, that was a term that would be used for someone of very high social rank, like someone you know, high in the Roman government or some other office. So he addresses most excellent Theophilus, and then says in the beginning of Acts, the second volume, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then just goes on from there. So Luke is saying, I'm, I'm writing this book for Theophilus and for him to understand these things, and for him to see what Jesus began to do and teach and what he continued to do and teach through his church. That's essentially what's going on. So we understand Luke's intention through that. Who was Theophilus? We don't necessarily know. He, he, uh, the, the word means lover of God. It was a title that could be used uh, for people. It was a complimentary, very complimentary title. Uh, some people think that Theophilus was actually a, a high-ranking Roman official in Rome who was a Christian. And if you follow the story of Acts, where does it end? Where, where is Paul at the end of Acts? He's in Rome awaiting trial. So some people have thought, well, Theophilus was probably a high-ranking Roman official who was perhaps a Christian, and Luke has written the whole book with one, with one of well, probably a couple purposes in mind to almost be a pretrial apologetic for Paul and Christianity as Paul goes to trial. I think when we understand that, that helps us as we go through understand, well, why did he choose this or that to say and didn't say that? So I think we've seen that, right, and, and, and as we've watched the storyline and watched what's, what has happened. But Luke also, I believe, wanted through this writing for the church to understand uh, understand the same things he wanted Theophilus to understand, but also for the church to understand how Christ continued to work through the spreading of the gospel uh, as the church witnessed to the gospel in the power of the Spirit. So with that in mind, uh, that answers that question for us and helps us even understand this point in the text. And what I think he's simply doing in this point is as he's telling this story, as he's doing this pre-brief, in a sense, for Theophilus, he's giving a key transition. Here's Paul's ministry in Corinth and all that God did. And remember Gallio, right? This high Roman official who endorsed Christianity uh, implicitly. Uh, That's important. And he's transitioning from there to Ephesus, another major city uh, that Paul's going to go to. That's a, actually in Asia. Remember, the Spirit of God had forbidden him to go to Asia before, and now the Spirit of God is going to lead him to Asia. There's going to be wonderful things we see happen in Ephesus. So there's a transition point. And in this transition, he introduces some key people and places. And that's really what he's doing. But then there's those secondary meanings, right? Even as Luke's talking about these key people and places, as he's making these transitions, he's teaching us some key things. And so he mentions Paul, he talks about Paul and the transition Paul makes. He talks about Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila and Priscilla, either order is used, and he talks about Apollos, three leaders. And what I want to do is I want to focus in on what goes on with these three people. And and what I believe is shown here as, as Luke discusses this is we get to see how the grace of God works in leaders. We get to see how the grace of God works in leaders. So we're going to look at Paul and we're going to see how he lived in the grace of God, how he responded to the grace of God and how he, he by grace, sought to, to pass on the grace of God to other leaders. So we're going to watch, look at Paul. We're going to look at Priscilla and Aquila, how they were recipients of the grace of God through Paul. And then what did they do? They passed it on to Apollos. Apollos himself received the grace of God through the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila. And then what did he do? He passed it on as He went to Corinth. So in this little section that we might just say is a throwaway transition, we get to learn that God graciously gives leaders. He pours out His grace on leaders. He gives leaders to us so that we might recognize, nurture, and deploy them for the Gospel. He gives grace to us in the form of leaders that we might recognize, nurture, and deploy them that they might, by grace, be used for the Gospel. So let's, with that in mind, look at look at these three lives that we see. First, Paul. We see in the first part of the text, in chapter chapter 18, verse 18, it talks about Paul, and Paul is making this journey from Corinth. He's been in Corinth for maybe as long as two years. Uh, We know that he stayed 18 months, but then it says after this, Paul stayed many days longer. He stayed longer in Corinth. And then he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. He took Priscilla and Aquila with him, and he set sail for Syria. Syria is basically the, the province where Antioch was and, and, and basically I think Caesarea is included in that. So he set sail really for Jerusalem. Uh, so he's been in Corinth a while. Probably at this point things have gone well. This wonderful harvest has been brought in. Right? Uh Lots of people have come to Christ. God has opened doors. God has protected. Last week we talked about the wonderful promises of God to Paul to uh, protect him, to, uh, to, to give him a, a people and his presence. That's the other P, um, God's presence. And God fulfilled that. And he's had a wonderful, successful ministry. And now he wants to go back to Jerusalem. And so he, he goes and it says that he, uh, at, at Kenchari, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And, uh, and that may seem a little weird. What's going on? Paul cuts his hair. Uh, he was probably under a Nazarite vow. This was talked about in uh, Numbers. And a Nazarite vow was a, a vow that you made to God out of, um, out of devotion to God, out of great love for God, out of wanting to, to express to God your gratitude, your desire to live for God. And you express that a number of ways. One of those ways was by growing your hair and not cutting it. There was probably some young man who would were on their way to a Nazarite vow and growing their hair. Um, So uh, that's what you did. You grew your hair. There were some other things you did as well to express your devotion. Actually, uh, um, I just blanked out. Samson uh, was under a Nazarite vow. Um, Samuel, probably his whole life. I think John the Baptist as well. And so it was a way you showed God great devotion, great gratitude, great consecration. And it doesn't tell us why Paul was doing that. And so we don't know for sure But the context is he's going from Corinth to Jerusalem. And I think that helps illuminate what he was doing in this vow when he grew his hair in in, in this expression of consecration to God. I think Paul was aware of the grace of God in his life in Corinth. He had agonized, right? We looked at that last week. He had agonized. He came in fear and trembling. He didn't know. He, He probably was worn out from the persecution Concern for the churches. And God broke through in his life. God came and, and did wonders there. I mean, just even bringing Priscilla and Aquila, who happened to be there by God's providence to ha- provide some, uh, a ready-made team, a place to live. And, and, and then God went on just to do other things, bring people in and, and protect them. And, and it was just a rich time. And Paul, I believe, was aware. You can read his writings. He was aware of the grace of God. He was very appreciative of the grace of God. He knew... The wonder of the grace of God he knew that he had been uh, chief of sinners, and that God had broken in on his life and rescued him, and then commissioned him to to plant churches and and to to bless people in eternally significant ways, wonderful ways bringing the gospel and bring glory to God. He knew the grace of God, so I, I believe that he was coming from Corinth, and he near the end of the time there was just appreciative and wanted to express that and was thinking about going back to Jerusalem as well. That he knew Jerusalem was the place of, of where it all started. The place of, of the heritage of God's people. Paul was connected. His heart was connected to Jerusalem even though he was going. His heart was connected there. You can read elsewhere in Scripture too and see that. See his connection to Jerusalem in, in his writings uh, as, as he talks about the gift that he wanted to bring to the church. His heart was connected there. He wanted to go back and worship and tell them about what God had done. So he was a man full full of gratitude. And this Nazarite vow, I think, was an expression of that. And it was a connection between Corinth and Jerusalem. Going back and re- remembering God's graciousness. Going back to that church where it all began. Going back to that place. That place of the heritage of the promises and the patriarchs for him. So I believe that's what was going on in that. You can read elsewhere and see that Paul uh, lived this way, just very aware of the grace of God. And I believe that that's what drove Paul in his ministry. He experienced the grace of God. He wanted to to steward it as it has impacted his life. He wanted to make the most of his life. He wanted to bless others. He wanted to tell others about the grace of God. And and so he's doing that, even as he goes back to Jerusalem. And so he takes Priscilla and Aquila along as well. And and again, I'm speculating a little bit, but I think the way Paul operated uh, is that he had received the grace. He wanted to pass it on. So he, even though they had taken him in, he had taken them into his heart and had invested in them. And what we see is in chapter 18, uh, there's this... Relationship established with Priscilla and Aquila and it continues throughout Scripture. And they're mentioned actually in Paul's last writing, 2 Timothy. He tells people to greet the, the church, the, the small group in a sense that meets in the house of Aquila and Priscilla. So these people's lives had been changed by the grace of God through Paul as he invested in them. So he... Um, He's just a great example of that. Uh, He was a leader aware of the grace of God. There's a verse in in 2 Timothy that I think captures this whole idea that, that I'm driving at in this message. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul is talking to Timothy. And he's instructing Timothy. It's it's near the end of Paul's life. And he's instructing Timothy in in the most important things. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Faithful men and women like Priscilla and Aquila and others. Timothy, Silas, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, because of the grace of God, the things that you've heard from me, entrust to others who will then teach others as well. Isn't that what's going on in Acts 18? Paul has impacted Priscilla and Aquila's lives and then they turn and impact Paul's life and then it keeps on going. That's how God's grace works. He touches lives and it passes on from one to the next to the next. That's how he builds leaders. That's, that's how he works. His grace is at work. And, and he, he works in leaders. And we seek to nurture, and, and we recognize that great, we seek to nurture and deploy leaders, just like Paul did. So that's what's going on. And, and, and we see more in the story that, that Paul typically, uh, he's, he's touched Priscilla and Aquila's lives. He... Uh, he he has I think so impacted them that when he goes to Ephesus, he can leave them there kind of doing ministry in his stead while he 's gone, trusting god he 'll be able to come back. so they have a great ministry there as well it 's interesting too just to see Paul continue in in the in his behavior, when he goes back to Jerusalem, he tells them he probably offers his hair up in sacrifice. That's what you would do. You bring it to the temple, offer it to God, just as part of your worship. He does that. Probably informs the church all about all that's been going on, and I'm sure they're very excited. And Luke just covers in a, a few sentences a long time and a lot that goes on. He goes to Antioch, and then he starts his third missionary journey. And probably has Ephesus as a target to get back to Ephesus. And you or I probably would hop on a boat to go to Ephesus because that's the quickest way to go to Ephesus. But Paul decides, no, I'm not going to go by boat. I'm going to go by foot. And he walks from Antioch to Ephesus because he's a glutton for punishment. No, because Paul had known the grace of God and knew the grace of God, and he wanted to go out and have an impact on the people. So he went through and he strengthened the disciples. A man shaped by the grace of God to the point where he would sacrifice and do this long, dangerous, I think it was like a thousand-mile journey, on foot. They didn't ride on horses, usually, by the way, though we always see the pictures in the coloring books. You know, horses and donkeys, they did. They walked most places. Uh, So he walked, did that thousand-mile journey, strengthened the churches, uh, and then came eventually to Ephesus himself. So just uh, as we think about Paul, think about here's a life impacted by the grace of God. And because of the grace of God, he's, he's powered by the grace of God, and he's imparting the grace of God to others, to leaders and the church. And then we meet Apollos in the storyline here in Acts chapter 18. We see Apollos, Apollos, and Apollos comes to the church in Ephesus. He's introduced, and he's on the scene. He is a gifted guy, isn't he? He shows up in Ephesus, and the first thing that Luke says about Apollos is he talks about his gifts. Paulus comes on the scene, says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. So he came from the city of Alexandria and in Egypt, a very important city in the ancient world. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. Then it says, he's Being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately. So Paulus shows up in Ephesus, and the grace of God has already been at work in his life. He comes as a somewhat ready-made leader, doesn't he? Isn't that wonderful when you get ready-made leaders? They come to you. And the, the grace of God has already been at work. There's gifts. They've already been instructed to some degree, and they come to you ready made. And, and as, I, as I prepared the message, I couldn't help but think about all the ready made people and leaders that our church has. I, I really can't take credit uh, for what God's done in our leaders. Um, so many leaders have come to us, and, and God's grace has already been at work in their lives. They've come, uh, they're gifted. Eloquent, competent. Uh, there's there's character there too. They're tested. They're proven in many ways. They come to us uh, to serve us. And and I can't just I, I just have to give praise to God and say thank you, Lord. It, it's really wild. Uh, and I know you guys probably maybe you're not as aware of this as I am, but I just think God, you have really done miracles in bringing people to us. I know we've had some influence as a church on our present leaders, and that and I'll talk about that in a minute, but. They've already come to us loving the Lord, loving the scriptures, loving the church, loving to learn. Uh, all these things are already ready made and that's the Lord. That's the Lord at work. So when we see this about Apollos coming, we need to see God's grace at work. God is already working in Apollos and, and he's working in us. And so I, I look at our deacons um, in our church, Jeff and Phil and David, and see them come having come to us ready-made in many ways. I see their wives, who really would be deaconesses, Mickey, Pam, and Lisa, my wife as well, uh, and see them ready-made. I see our up-and-coming leaders as well, uh, Mitch and Barb, Chris and Karen, and I see others in our church as well. Um, And I see the grace of God at work, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for God, how he pours out his grace and gives us leaders like he gave the Ephesian and Corinthian church, Apollos. And so they come in. Apollos comes in and Priscilla and Aquila, and I think the church recognizes the grace of God. The grace of God is at work. They recognize that. And then they just say, okay, Apollos, do whatever you want. Go ahead. You're free. No, they don't. They get involved in in nurturing him. Priscilla and Aquila have been nurtured by Paul. The grace of God has touched Paul's life. He nurtures Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila have been deployed. They're probably deacon-type leaders. They have been deployed, and then they are there, and they see the grace of God at work in Apollos. And what do they do? They take Apollos in because they recognize that Apollos is missing some things. It's not quite clear what was going on. He had been instructed. He he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Uh, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, but he only knew the baptism of John. So we don't know. There was some deficiency, uh, and it's hard to figure out. I mean, if he only knew the baptism of John, didn't know the baptism of Jesus, we don't know. Um, it might have been that he received some teaching from someone else who hadn't been there for Pentecost, perhaps, uh, or something like that. We don't know. that, that He was missing some components. And so Priscilla and Aquila rebuked him publicly in front of everybody, and, and told him to get his act together if he wanted to be a leader in the Ephesian church. Right? No, he took. They took him in. They 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 took him aside. The, the word there can be. It, I think it's best understood as they they took him in to their home. They took him into their lives. They did it probably privately, and they talked about it. Probably asked him questions. You know. When you were saying that thing, you know, what were you thinking or whatever, I, you know, probably graciously. But they took him in, and they cared for him, and they instructed him in the way of the Lord. That is a wonderful picture of how growth happens. We take people in. We, we take them into our lives. We use hospitality. We take them into our homes. We, we love them. We, we enter into their lives, and in that context, we speak truth. Because we don't really know all that's going on until we get to know all that's going on. And it's in that place we can best instruct people. So Priscilla and Aquila, I think, had learned that properly from Paul and others. They knew how to do ministry. And so Apollos, they took him in. They nurture him. And then what's the result? What do do we see the result? Apollos is sent. He's deployed as well. Let's just look at Priscilla and Aquila a little bit as well. Um, This couple, uh, a wonderful couple, probably the most famous couple in Scripture. Priscilla and Aquila or Aquila and Priscilla, their names go both ways. Uh, And I'll talk about that in a minute, too. But they are dearly loved. They are a precious couple. And they're a model, I think, for couples. And and they're probably deacon-level leaders. That's what I think. Whether they have the title or not, um, that's essentially how I think they're serving. And they are well-loved. We see in Scripture, Paul mentions them a, a number of places. I think we have the verses to show. Romans 16, he says. He's writing Romans to the church in Rome. And so at this point, uh, Priscilla and Aquila uh, are are in Rome. So Paul says, "Greet Prisca and Aquila. Prisca is her more formal name. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. That's high praise for this couple. They risk their neck and the churches, all the churches give thanks to God for them. 1 Corinthians 16, he mentions, he said, The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, some of the names are the other way around, together with the church and their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. At this point, he's in Ephesus with them. Then 2 Timothy, the end of his life, says, Greet Prisca and Aquila. And that's just a short little sentence, but I can't help but think what Paul was thinking. The grace of God at work. How key these people were in my life when I was in Corinth. How wonderful it is to see God use them. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. So we see them mentioned. They were a couple who were a great blessing to Paul. Paul invested his life into them. Just a little aside on this, um, they're called Aquila and Priscilla, or Aquila and Prisca and then Priscilla and Aquila. The names are reversed at times. Four out of the six times they're mentioned, her name is mentioned first. And People have looked at that and said, well, she was a pastor and he was, you know, he was along for the ride. And I just don't think you can do that with the, just a few times where the names are changed. Um, I think the verses that talk about roles in the church for men and women are pretty clear. And so we don't build on the ones that aren't as clear. We build on the ones that are clear. And that's another conversation to have. I'd be glad to have it. But this is, is, we don't know what's going on. It may have been that that Priscilla uh, was from a wealthy Roman family, and the convention of the, of the day was if she was, if she was of nobility, you put her name first. So Aquila might have just not been of nobility, not been a, an important Roman citizen, so uh, you put Priscilla and Aquila. Or it may have been that Priscilla was the one who was, was perhaps more gifted and more involved than Aquila, um, and that's why she's mention, mentioned first. We don't know. Uh, but that doesn't mean that she was a pastor. Uh, there's a lot of workers in Scripture that are deacon-type workers, deaconesses, deacons, and I think Paul would be contradicting himself elsewhere, where he makes it clear that, that, um, well, he makes it clear that that pastor, the role of a pastor, is reserved for men, um, and 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 I risk the, I risk all the questions that come with that. I'd love to talk about it, and I don't always have the answers for that because there are women that are very gifted. But, but Scripture is pretty clear that God calls men to serve in that particular way as they, speak, as they serve as pastors. Pastors are different than deacons. Pastors have a responsibility. Deacons don't. Pastors are responsible for the flock to speak author, authoritatively from the Word of God and govern the church. So there's a difference in that role. And I think God, in His wisdom, uh, He has set aside men for that particular role. But women are so important to the church, and I, that's what this story illustrates, and, and so many places else in Scripture, we see women having a key and vital role, role to the church, the, the life of the church. So women can instruct others in, in appropriate ways. Women can contribute to the life of the church. And Priscilla was obviously very influential in this way. So that's clear. That's what's clear. The pastor thing, I think, is unclear. And I just want to mention that because as you hear Priscilla and Quillia, and Priscilla be thinking, all right, what's going on? Uh, is there something here? And I want to equip you to understand that. And I don't want you to be distracted. I think the point is that these people, this couple, were dynamic. They were a couple who had experienced God, and they were a couple who were ministering uh, in their gifts, in the grace of God, and had impact, tremendous impact on the church. And so if you're a couple, similarly gifted, see yourself in this, that God has given you grace that you as a couple, perhaps, would minister as well and be used of God's. They have such an impact on Apollos that he is nurtured, he is deployed, and it says in verse 28, When he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. They deployed Apollos, and he had a huge impact on the church in Corinth and perhaps elsewhere. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians as well as as they talk about it. He had a huge impact. So here is another picture of that. Grace at work being passed on. People being, uh, their gifts being recognized, nurtured, and deployed for the gospel. And we as a church have had our share of deploying people too. And I'm so grateful grateful for the grace of God at work in our church, giving us ready made leaders and keeping ready made leaders here as well. I'm so grateful for that and how God's blessed us. But I'm also grateful for the ones that have been deployed beyond us. Some of you guys, a lot of you are new and that's wonderful. So you wouldn't have known those some of the people we've had I counted it, uh twelve different churches throughout the world where there are people who were leaders of sorts in our church. Twelve different churches. I think the number's right, uh all over the United States, a couple overseas. And I'm grateful for God, how He used us in their lives. He used us in their lives and impacted their lives, and then we deployed them. Um, we, didn't, we weren't necessarily the, the ones doing all the deploying, but we were able to send them out. And what a joy to think that, that some of the grace that we have experienced... Some of the, the things that we've experienced, the, the wonder of, and the blessing of gospel-centeredness around genuine relationships, these sort of things that we experience that, that many people, have, who, some of these people who have sent out said, you know, they didn't see that elsewhere, have gone and taken that other places. Uh, recently, we, we sent uh, two couples out last year, seminarians uh, who were such a blessing, the Kirks and... Uh, And Alex and Betsy went to Oxford for graduate study and and missions work. And Andy and Shelley Doyle uh, we sent out recently. And Andy is serving in a role that I wanted him to serve here in. uh, But God didn't open the door. He's serving over in Cambridge as a uh, pastor of evangelism in a church over there. So um, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to think that we got to play some small part in God doing that. That's how God works. His grace is at work. He'll bring people to us. He calls us to recognize, nurture them, and then deploy them. Deploy them here as well. And we are committed to that as a church. We want to deploy um, leaders in their different roles. And I often meet with leaders. I meet with people that are new to our church and interested in leadership in some way. And and almost all the time I say, you know what? There's more to do here. We have more ideas and opportunities than we have people to lead. So if you have a desire to, see, to serve, to lead as a deacon, or just in some sort of ministry, come and talk to me. Come and talk to us. We will find things for you to do. I think we need to come with hearts. Lord, whatever you want, however I can serve the church, I'll, I want to serve. Uh, but also I want to be sensitive to how the grace of God is at work, to deploy you in ways that are in line with your gifts. God graciously gives leaders to us to recognize, nurture, and deploy for the gospel. What I want to do in the remaining time is just talk a little bit about some ways to apply this for us. Just a few short applications. I think the first thing in light of this, as we read Acts chapter 18, and we see this, we see grace in Paul's life, and we see it being passed on to, to others, and Priscilla and Aquila, and we see the grace of God in their life being passed on to Apollos, and then passed on to the churches, as we see this wonderful grace that changes lives, this wonderful grace that transforms lives, this wonderful grace that reconciles us with God and, and, and and gives us power to be used in building the church. That the first thing, the first application is very simple. It's this to praise God. To praise God for his wonderful. Grace. He is the one behind this story. He is the one behind Paul. He is the one behind what's going on in Corinth. He's the one who's behind what's going on in King of Grace Church. He's the one who's behind what's going on in your life. If if you have gifts, if you're a believer, you do have gifts. Those gifts come from the grace of God. He's at work, and and the first thing I think we need to do is just to sit back and say thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your grace. Praise you for what you're doing. You are good and you are faithful. Ephesians 4 teaches us, chapter 4, 7, and 11, that Christ, when He died and rose again, He gave gifts to men. That Christ has gone uh, through His resurrection and provided that gifts would be poured out on the church. Grace was costly. In order for God to be gracious to us, and grace is receiving favor that's unmerited, Right? So we don't earn ever earn grace where it's not grace. It's receiving blessing and favor that's unmerited. In order for Him to do that, it cost Him His Son. It cost Christ dying on the cross, suffering holy justice, holy wrath on the cross for sins, bearing the full penalty of, of sin. Eternity in hell is the punishment for sin. Christ bore the full penalty himself for all believers on the cross it was costly very costly to provide you grace to provide Paul grace, to provide Priscilla and Aquila grace, to provide Apollos grace, to provide this church grace, it was very costly yet he did it, he did it for us And so let us receive the grace as we see grace at work in our lives, as we see grace at work in giving leaders, according to Ephesians 4, let us give praise to God and say thank you. When we see God at work in someone else, let us say thank you, Lord. You're good. When we see God at work in raising leaders up, let us say thank you. When the leaders come to us and they're in raw form, they might have gifts, but they come in raw form. Let us not say, oh man, that, that, that guy, that, that, that woman will never make it. They've got these problems here. They don't, this, they don't measure up here. Let's not do that. We do need to nurture them. But let's see the grace of God at work and say, thank you, God. There's gifts. There's stuff going on here. You have given them as a gift to us as a church to do your work. We want to be responsible to nurture them as best we can and then deploy them here or elsewhere, wherever you might have. So let us first give praise to God for His grace at work. Secondly, let us pray. We don't create leaders. God alone creates leaders. That's good news. We are not responsible to make leaders here. Nobody makes Christian leaders. We recognize the grace of God. We nurture, we deploy. But Ephesians 4 teaches us that God makes leaders. God's grace is at work in creating leaders. And then He gives them to the church. The church needs to recognize, nurture, and deploy leaders. There's work for us to do. They can come to us in raw form, but it's His grace that's at work. So we praise God, and secondly, we pray for leaders. Would you pray for leaders for King of Grace Church? God's doing wonderful things in our church. You can see that if the kids are here, we fill up the room pretty much. Uh, we peak at about 150 people. This, will, this room will fit 200 max. But you, if you crowd 200 in here, it's going to be really, really, uh, really close. Um, and so God's at work in our church. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to see what he's doing. And He's at work in our church because He has purposes for us. We can't just think about maxing out 150 or 200. We need to think about the 100,000 within five miles of us who don't know Christ. We can't stop and be satisfied. We can, in a sense. Grateful, but there's things God wants to do. And He uses us as His people, but He uses leaders, and we can't move forward without the right leaders. And we have some wonderful leaders. But I I, uh, at times, am tempted because I have so many things I would love for us to do. You've heard from me about church planting. I hope soon we can plant churches. But we're not going to have any church planters if we don't have other pastors. So pray for pastors. Pray for church planters. Whether they're raised up from within, and that would be wonderful, or they come from without like Apollos, ready to be nurtured and deployed. Either way, let's pray for leaders. Let's look forward to what He's going to do in us, growing us, and, and working through us, to, whether it be church plants or more evangelism, I would love to have more difficulty filling, dealing with the parking spaces. I would love to have to start looking at something else, other building maybe. I love this building, but, but I'd love for that to be the problem. So, so let's ask for leaders. Let's pray. God, would you give us pastors? Would you give us deacons? We have wonderful deacons already. We need more. And we don't believe. Uh, right now, I'm the only pastor here. I'm the only elder. We would understand those as synonymous. That's, that's not forbidden in Scripture, but the pattern in Scripture uh, is team. And, and there are exceptions, but the exceptions are to be exceptions, not the rule. I'm not satisfied being the only guy. I want a team. I want a team to better serve. When the church starts getting up over 100, it's hard for a single pastor to care for the church. And we are a church that is committed to gospel-centered living. And the impact of that in who we are in Christ and our evangelism to the world. And and there's a level of commitment that we have by grace as a church that that the traditional model will never serve. The single pastor coming on Sunday, you hear a message and you go your way. We're not going to do that. We believe in a pastor to be a shepherd involved in the lives of his people, uh, uh, caring for and developing leaders. So my schedule is full. Uh, And I don't say this to, to anything but to help inform you. I work 60 hours a week and I don't get my work done. Each week. And that's always going to be true. I understand that. But, but, but I say that so that you would pray for pastors. For a team. You would pray for church planters. Because we want to plant churches. I would do it tomorrow if we had the guys. We need the leaders. God gives leaders. God's giving us leaders. But let's ask Him to give us leaders. Let's ask Him to work. Let's ask Him to bring the apostles in. Let's ask Him to use us to, to raise up the, the deacon type Priscilla and Aquilus. Let, uh, let's ask God to grant leaders that we can recognize them, nurture them, and deploy them. And finally, an application. The bank could come up as we close. We all have a part to play. We all have a part to play. You might be... An Apollos, a future Apollos. You might be a Priscilla and Aquila. You might be somebody who just comes alongside a leader and helps them, encourages them in some way, who helps them be successful. Biblical leadership is all, all about equipping the church and deploying the church ultimately. And we empower leaders when we come alongside them and, and help them, give them feedback, encourage them, and help follow them. Leaders are not successful unless they have followers. We all have a part to play. We can all serve in many ways. We can all do things to serve in leadership of sorts. Opening your home for fellowship. Hosting a small group or youth meeting. Being part of the worship team or caretaker team. Coming and talk to me and saying, I want to serve. I want to serve in evangelism. I'd like to be a deacon. We all have a part to play in some way. About uh, 30 years ago, there was this woman named Emma Hurd. she was a small woman and you wouldn't probably know Emma Heard, because um, she wasn't a big shot. She was old. She was going blind. And um, she took a young man under her wing. Brand new convert. Didn't know the things of the Lord. Didn't know scripture. And uh, here's this 60, 70 year old woman, frail woman, with this um, arrogant, ignorant, young Christian man, took took this man under her wing and the man was there to help her her brother who was very sick with chronic illness and she started to to disciple that young man, taught him how to memorize scripture, established him in just some basic truths of the faith, nurtured that young man, had an impact on that young man and made a big difference in that young man's life because at that critical time when he was a brand new convert, he wasn't part of a church. Because of his background, he couldn't become part of a Bible-believing church. And she served a key role. And if it hadn't been for her, perhaps that young man would have gone back into the world. She had a part to play in that young man's life. That young man now serves as a pastor. He's leading others. He's caring for others. He has four children. He's even planted a church. That young man is me. You might be an Emma Hurt. You might not have big things to do like Apollos, but you might have big things to do like Emma. We all have a part to play. We all have experienced the grace of God, and we all get to pass it on. So let us as a church recognize this, recognize that God pours out His grace on us, gives us leaders. We are to recognize, nurture, and deploy them For the Gospel. For our joy in the Lord. For God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your wonderful grace at work in us. And Lord, we do indeed want to praise You first and foremost. Lord, we want to pray for Your grace to work and to raise leaders up. Lord, we want to play our part and we want to see You do Your work. We want to see You do wonderful things in and through us to Your glory. And Lord, we want to send people to other places too. They don't belong to us. The grace is from You. So give us more people to send out, be it a church plant or to England or wherever, Lord. Thank You for Your grace. Use us this way, we pray. Amen.